All right. Well, today we are continuing part three, and it looks like it's going to be a four-parter. Uh, don't, don't go mortgage your house on that, but you, you can feel reasonably sure uh, we'll wrap up this series next weekend. But we're looking at the woman at the well, a faith that satisfies. And our account is found in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And over the last two weeks and today, we have systematically walked ourselves biblically up to a well in the heat of the day in the middle <clears throat> of the Judean mountains. We started all the way back with Abram, and God called Abram, and Abram was faithful and obedient, and through that obedience, there, were, there was family legacy, and in that legacy, there was a, a young man by the name of Jacob, and Jacob, out of necessity and provision, dug a well called Jacob's Well, the well that's still there, and Jesus was in Jerusalem, and there was this tussle going on. There were the followers of John the Baptist, and they go, our guy's the best. Our team's the best. And then there were Jesus followers, and then there was the religious folk. I think they were just in it to stir it up. But there was this, this ground swell of conflict and, and things, and Jesus makes a statement. He says, I've got to go through Samaria. Well, that's where a good conservative rabbi wouldn't go. But Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And so his followers, along with him, made their way north, going to Galilee, his home region. As they're going through Samaria, they arrive at a well. Jesus' traveling party goes in town to secure lunch because Grubhub was not available. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are. <clears throat> and I'm the only one that has the courage to say it. But Jesus finds himself sitting alongside Jacob's well, the unarguable, the historically accepted location of Jacob's well for thousands of years now <clears throat> in the heat of the day because, one, he was tired. Because Jesus being all God and all human, he was tired. Two, and more importantly, he had a providential appointment with a Samaritan woman who in the heat of the day by herself made her way out to the well. And upon arriving there, we agreed that it would be a little bit awkward to show up at a place where you expected to be completely alone. To show up at a place where not only are you not alone, but there is a Hebrew rabbi sitting there. And to show up at a place where you expect to be completely alone, and there's a Hebrew rabbi there, and he speaks to you and asks you for a drink of water. A very unlikely conversation, a very awkward conversation, <coughs> but a conversation nonetheless and the important thing that we need to be reminded of is this, the why question. Everything about this encounter hangs on the hinge of this passage of Scripture. <coughs> we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about the historicity. We've talked about 
cultural conflicts. We've talked about a lot of things, and all those things are valuable and worthy of consideration. But the purpose, the paramount, hinge-pin purpose of this encounter is this passage of Scripture right here. For the Son of Man came to save, to seek and to save those who were lost. Why is he in Samaria? To seek and to save. Why is he at the well? To seek and to save. That's just the bottom line. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today. <coughs> I apologize. Uh, this, what do we have, like 12 hours of spring? I'll tell you what, I, I can't imagine being a plant today. So Jesus meets... Do we go? Do we not go? Do, do we bloom? Or we doing, let's just bloom halfway. What do you say? Or someone goes in full bloom, and next week we'll have an Antarctic winter, and it kills it, and you're like, well, I, what are we going to do? Maybe next year. Anywho, Jesus is sitting at the well. He engages this woman, and he asks her a simple question. Will you give me a drink? And out of this simple question, a whole lot of conversation takes place. It's a good conversation. <clears throat> it's amazing how one question can spur a lot of things. And, and at the end of this conversation, Jesus replies to her, and this is really important. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who, is, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would, he would have given you living water. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of welling up to eternal life. May I have a drink? Conversation? And Jesus goes, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink. Because the water that I would give you, you would never thirst again. Now, with oh, nearly 3,000, well, 2,000 years of history behind us, the Bible and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we look at this and we go, well, yeah, sure, Jesus. But in the context, this lady is thinking, what does this mean to never thirst again? It's like never being hungry again. Do you ever get tired of eating? I enjoy eating, but do you ever get tired? How about this question? What do you want for dinner? Oh, Lord, there it is again. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Let's go out. Where do you want to go? I don't know. <laughs> now, I, now, my bride will testify. I have trained myself to this. I very rarely long for a specific thing. So when I say, sweetie, would you like to go out to eat? She'd say, yes. And you know, she goes, where do you want to go? And I'll say, I really have nothing specific that I'm hungry for. Therefore, and what I have trained myself is this, is when she gives me her answer, I don't get to go, well, no, but not that. You see, when you go, no, I don't really have anything. You, don't, you have forfeited the right to reject the offering. 57, still learning. Amen. But this lady is contemplating this question with this stranger who's made an offer that, quite honestly, if we're honest, sounds illogical. 
Can you imagine someone goes, hey, if I give you this cup of coffee, you'll never want coffee again. What? However, she responds, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Now, she's heard him. She's responding positively to him, but she's still thinking on a secular level. She hasn't reached a spiritual level yet. Because coming to the well is laborsome. Coming to the well is difficulty. Coming into the well is not something that she enjoys or is fulfilled by. And she's thinking, if Jesus can keep me from having to do this, think of one of the most mundane tasks of your life that you do because it needs to be done. But if you didn't have to do it, this is where she is. In this moment, we see a very small, tender, vulnerable sprig of faith. We've had this conversation. Jesus has made this declaration. And now, for whatever the formula is, there is an expression of faith. She doesn't understand the spiritual level, but she is now agreeing that this man can give to me something that I want, something that I need, and something that I don't completely understand. It's a small faith. It's a tentative faith, but it's there. And this encounter should take us to the New Testament encounter where we see in Matthew. We just talked about this this morning in our Sunday school class. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Wait, you can give me water and I'll never get thirsty again? And I'll never have to lug these jars again in the heat of the day? Oh, sign me up. But it doesn't last long. Short shelf life. They fall away as soon as, what, they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. This faith is genuine faith, but it's very tentative faith. There is a time-sensitive element here. John 4, 16 says this, and he told her, go call your husband and come back. So I got some free stuff for you. Does anyone know Linda Wolf? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Going once, going twice, going third. She owns a world record, you know. What? Stanford Street? I don't think so. But she might. Google didn't include that. You may not be familiar with Linda, but let me uh, share with you why Miss Linda is the holder of a world record. Linda holds a place in history because she's been married 23 times making her the most married woman in history. She can't remember the, the men in order in which she was married to. She, she was married first at 16 to a 31-year-old. There's red flags there. Uh, they stayed together for seven years, and that's the longest of any of the marriages in her life. Can we all agree that this wasn't God's will for her life? I think we can, right? Right? This, this was not God's will for her life, right? Um, may I also ask you this. 
It's been my experience that sometimes a series of poor choices can stem from an inner thirst that's not being fulfilled. Sometimes we see people like dudes, and they'll go from car to car to car to car to car. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm just saying there's a thirst for something that's not being found. We can go from job to job to job to job. This lady went from groom to groom to groom to groom. And I would suggest to you that somewhere in this wonderful woman's life, there was a thirst for something she thought she could find. But I suggest to you that the thirst could only be quenched through Jesus. She was looking for an answer in a process of worldly decisions that can only be found in a spiritual one. Let's move on. John 4 says this, she responded to him, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. And her response was, what you have said is, or he says, what you have said is true. The purpose of Jesus' request was this was a clarifying and probing question, bringing into focus her need. Now, Brian, as a counselor, you ask clarifying and probing questions, don't you? Jesus asked this question with intent to clarify and to probe the, situa to probe the situation. Not for him, why? Because Jesus knows everything. This question is to help her. Her answer was honest in her mind. Well, I don't have a husband. In her mind, that's an honest answer. Why? Because it is technically honest. But that is not the true answer. Christ gives her the truthful answer, the answer that has deeply affected her life. One of the reasons she's at the well at noon when no other ladies are there is in part because of these decisions. And the part of the reason she's at the well in the midday and while she's there, this is what facilitates this meeting at this time. Jesus met her at a place of need when she would be there by herself so that she would not be distracted or discouraged. Jesus asked the question with an intentional benefit. John 4, uh, 4 says this, Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Now, this lady who went to the well expecting to be alone, who discovered a Jewish rabbi who talked to her and asked her for a drink of water and blew her ever-loving mind that he would do this, now this stranger from another land has been elevated in her eyes and in her heart to what? Not just a weird dude at a place. Now he's a prophet. You see, the question that Jesus asked and the consideration of that was to help her spiritually elevate Jesus to a position now that she wants to listen to. He's not just a dude. He's not just a passer through. This man's a prophet of God. And if he's a prophet of God, and I claim to be a person following God, what he has to say, what? I should listen to. Amen? Amen? 
So his question and her response to his question had a very impactful uh, consequence in their conversation. The faith is continuing to grow. in spite of the difficult conversation. Sometimes as believers, we're afraid to, to have a difficult conversation, but my friends, sometimes a difficult conversation needs to be had. Yes. And Jesus is having what we all agree is a difficult conversation, but what we see is her faith is continuing to grow inside the conversation. Now, what's interesting is just like we, she tries to, deflect and redirect the conversation. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that you have a place where we must worship in Jerusalem. Now, immediately, she wants to go to a conversation about religion. You try to open a religious, a spiritual conversation in our world, and everybody wants to get down with religion. Oh, well, what denomination are you? Well, can you spell denomination? Oh, and I, give me, I tell you what, I tell you what, give me, give me two denominations, give me one distinction between the two, and then we'll talk denomination. Everybody, oh, she tried to deflect the discussion of her sin because it made her uncomfortable. Listen, if our sin does not make us uncomfortable, we've got a whole nother bag of worms. But she wanted to redirect the conversation. Oh, wait a minute, we're talking about sin. I don't feel comfortable here. Rabbit! She wanted to debate the differences between the location of worship between the Samaritans and the Jews. Now here's something, it doesn't cost you extra. I'm amazed when I speak to people and they go, I won't worship at church A, B, or C. I'll only worship at church D. And then you go, well, when was the last time you went to church D? Oh, I hadn't been there in years. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think that A, B, and C is just your excuse because you don't go to D. Listen, there is no reason that the children of God aren't in the places of God with the people of God doing the things of God. And when, and when we separate out and parse and try to justify our reasoning for our disobedience and sinfulness because I can't worship at the Methodist church. I can't worship at the Pentecostal church. I certainly can't worship over there at Authentic Life. I'll only go to D church. Well, then get your hiney to D church. How about that? And if you're not going to go there, how about just come on over here? We'll prime you up, we'll polish you up, we'll clean you up, we'll encourage you up, and then you can go back to D-Church. But just get in church. I posted yesterday, and I, forget, I didn't put it on there. I figured I would let everybody try to interpret it. I was promoting today's message. Everybody see my balloon church? Because, you know, you know, the Chinese balloons and stuff. And I, I, I actually thought about getting the Chinese balloon and put go to ALF, but I didn't know if people would think that was funny or not, but you know, anyway. Jesus did not come to solve social debates. Jesus did not come to solve political debates. Jesus did not come to solve religious debates. Jesus came to solve the sin problem, amen? We want him to weigh in and we want to be distracted by 101 things. Listen, Jesus doesn't care if you're a Republican, 
a Democrat, a green, whatever that is, um, he doesn't care. He really doesn't. I'm sorry. And not a single party gets to claim Jesus as their own. Why? Because Jesus is above manly politics. God doesn't care. Jesus didn't come to solve America's political problems. Oh, man, I could go a long way right there. He didn't come for us to solve our religious debate. I will say it here. If you agree with the unnegotiable truths of Scripture, we can find ground to be together. Now, we may not worship the same. That's okay. We, we may disagree. Yeah, okay. But you know what? There are some unshakable, unnegotiable truths of Scripture. And if we agree on those, then we have grounds to be together. But too many of us spend too much time on religious arguments. That's my two cents. Verse 21, woman Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father uh, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Now Jesus is refocusing this conversation and he reemphasizes the fact that Jesus is God's greatest element of change. Jesus didn't come in to just kind of do a fixer up. Jesus came in to change and transform. And he, he addresses her attempt at a redirect. He's, he's, he's saying to her that the Samaritans worship here, the Jews worship here, and the Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. Now, God had a covenant with who? The Jews. You will be my people and I will be your God. God is a covenant-keeping God. And in that covenant, he had a people, he had a process, and he had a purpose. Now, with Jesus' arrival, that thing, those things changed but prior to that, what Jesus is simply saying is this. Man doesn't get to set the purpose of the process. Too many times and too many ways, we want to take what God says and mold it and shape it and pick and choose it to fit our will and our wants. My friends, that's sin. The Samaritans... Jerusalem was where God said to worship. The temple was how God said to worship, and that's what they should have been doing. But they conformed it to themselves, and Jesus is saying, you don't get the right to do that. That's not your place to do that. We have to be very careful. We have to be very careful in that. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth and they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, when you say the word worship, oh my goodness. You issue that word, and you know what people will typically do? 
they'll go, well, what kind of worship do you do? And you're like, well, we do the kind that honors Jesus. Well, what kind of worship do you do? And you know what they're asking? Two things. What type of instruments and what style of music? I love it when someone finally gets around to, well, what kind of music do you do at Authentic Life? And I go, all kinds. And they go, what does that mean? I said, it means exactly what I said. On any given Sunday, you just saw it. How old is I'll Fly Away? It's been around a little bit. We don't worship music. We sing music that worships. Amen? Anything that points us to the Lord or, or, or I, you know, if you can imagine what, two, three decades ago, we had a thing called the worship wars. I, the heart of God must have been broken. Anywho, with the coming of Christ, the separation between Jew and Gentile was no longer relevant. Neither was the centrality of the temple worship. Now, through Christ, all of God's children gain equal access to God. Say equal access. Equal access. Do you know what you need to get to God? You and God. We all have equal access to God. Worship became a matter of the heart, not an external action, and directed by truth more than ceremony. Is there a right and a wrong way to worship? Well, Spirit and truth. If you stand up all the time, that's okay. If you sit down all the time, that's okay. If you use instruments, that's okay. If you choose not to use instruments, that's okay. If you sing only hymns, that's okay. If you sing something other than what's in a hymn book, that's okay. If you blend them together, that's okay. I'll tell you this. The question is, is where's our hearts? Whether you wear shorts or whether you wear a tuxedo, that's okay. Where's your heart? To worship God in spirit and truth involves loving him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. True worship must be in spirit, engaging the whole heart. Unless there is a real passion for God, there is no spirit for worship. Do we have a passion for God? It's that passion that produces the spirit that we worship in. <clears throat> At the same time, worship must be in truth. That is, properly informed. Unless we have knowledge of God, we worship uh, the God that we worship, there is no truth. How can you worship someone you do not know? But both are necessary for God honoring truth. Look, here's the conundrum. You can use that three times and it's yours. Spirit without truth leads to shallow, over-emotional experience. As soon as the emotion is over, when the feelings subside, the worship ends. You know, you can come together. I mean, you're going to see it to this afternoon. When you turn on the Super Bowl, like I will, there's going to be people jacked up through the roof. But about... Mm, an hour after the game, especially if your team loses, it's going to be no bueno. Because you're going to be bummed out, and then you're going to be thinking about all the money that you spent to get there. 
and all those things. And yes, there is a value in experiences, but you're going to get this super rush of high energy, high emotion. We love it. And then out the floor it goes. On the other hand, truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless encounter, a joyless legalism. We just come and punch the spiritual time clock. Hey, God, cha-ching, you see me. And there's just nothing. You're just like, man, oh, man. (sighs) Boy, this is a long hour. I don't even care about the Super Bowl, but I wish I were watching it. If we don't have spirit and truth, we can be a part, we can be in the place where worship occurs. We can be with the people by which worship occurs. We can even have the instruments by which, which worship is, is uh, enhanced, but we have no worship. There, there's just no, you know. If you ever go to a f- football game and you don't know anyone on either team, all right. The best worship is a result of joyous appreciation of God. Amen. An attitude of gratitude. That'll go a long way. Young people, let me say this. Gratitude will get you a lot. Won't it, parents? It sure will. Grandparents, have a, oh, Papa, I just love how you love me and always think the best of me and, and how you, you just, I just love you and I appreciate you. Oh, Mia, what do you want? Let me empty out my pockets. Joyous appreciation informed by scripture. Information, what? How can we love whom we do not know? But the more you know him, the more you will love him. The information produces love. The love produces gratitude. Someone asked me the other day if I thought in heaven there was, you know, (laughs) there's mansions on the hill and mansions down in the valley. I said, I don't think so. Uh, and, And here's another thing. Uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a tongue in cheek, but you know, as a pastor, you know, Jimmy, as a pastor, will you have a bigger mansion on the hill? And the answer is no, no, I'm a privileged invitee. I'm just like everybody else. The man on the in the middle said I could come and I have an attitude of gratitude that one day I'll be in heaven because Jesus says so. And when we have information and we have love and we have gratitude, my friends, it's almost inevitable that we worship. And it's not just on Sunday morning when we come together. It's Tuesday morning when you get up and you realize how much you have in light of how much you don't have. And you realize that your car actually started and you realize that they actually have your coffee at Starbucks. And, and I mean, Man, if you just take the time and count the blessings, what a great song, count your blessings. And soon you'll, yeah, I mean, that is so true, right? I loved what uh, Jonathan Edwards said, great pastor, preacher of the 18th century. He says this, I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can Provided they are affected with nothing but truth. Man, I want to inspire you. I want to whip you into a spiritual fervor so long as it's with God's truth. 
I see myself, as it were, much like a political whip. You know, that's the guy, in part, they're there to create excitement. I almost ran for whip when I went to Boy State because I'm an excitable guy, but I didn't. But I want to encourage you. He goes on, he says, Edwards recognized the truth and only the truth can properly influence emotions in a way that brings honor to God. The truth of God being of infinite value is worthy of infinite passion. I want you to know and to love God's word. And in that, I want it to build a passion in you for the things of God. John 25 says this. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, she recognized there is a savior. She recognized she needs a savior. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. When he comes... Then we'll understand. Then we'll, we'll, we'll have an understanding. Then Jesus declared, the one speaking to you, I am he. I heard discussion of an article recently about Christians who are debating on whether Christ is actually the Savior. Okay, may I make this very simple? If you do not believe in Christ alone, through grace alone, you are not a Christian, period. You could put it in three-inch letters. You can quote me on your social media. I don't care. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only answer to sin and that through faith and grace in his completed works you are not a Christian our world has gotten too fancy and too many who claim to be of the church have thought too highly of their intellectual prowess Jesus says, I am he. If you believe it and receive it, welcome to the family. Anything less than that, I love you, but you're not in yet. No, I won't say that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> now, this conversation has reached critical mass. We have come from two strangers meeting at a well in the middle of the day to a man who has spoken truth unto her and she has recognized and identified truth. Now the question is, is what does she do with the truth? We've reached critical mass. You feel the tension? Yeah. I want you to know our world may be reaching critical mass. <clears throat> but it's okay. It's okay. And church, we need to be ready to water those seedlings. 
just watering it with truth. Because understand this, that salvation is what? Of the Lord. I can't save anyone. Oh, if I could just plug a little jump drive in and download it all, that'd be so great. No. We are just called to be casters of the seeds, waterer of the seeds, and every now and then we get to harvest the seed. And that's the best part, I gotta tell you. Man, when you see someone's heart and mind come to clarity and to life in Jesus Christ, it's exhilarating. It takes us back to when we were young in our faith. Do you remember that? Do you remember those first moments of faith and just, man, you just charge hell with a water pistol. Whoa! But sometimes we walk a little long and we get a little, you know, we've reached critical mass in this conversation. Next week, we're going to see how it ends. Because not every time you reach critical mass do things end up well. But you have to get to critical mass before a decision can be made. And that's the thing, church, as we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ and share it with a lost world, it is not our responsibility for what happens at critical mass, but it is our responsibility to try to help them get there. Everyone deserves the right to make a choice, amen? And they should have the opportunity to make an educated decision. And that education, in part, can come through us and by us. I just want to say I'm so thankful for all of those wonderful men and women who, who cast seed into my life all of those years, falling on the different soils at times because all of those have taken root now and I'm so thankful for the waterers. You know, my little grandmother and my mother-in-law and so many who just watered that, that tender vegetation of faith in my life. I'm so thankful for them. I mean, we need to be thankful for those in your life too. We also need to ask God to help us to be that in your mission field. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you come and you meet us at our point of need. Lord, you had to go through Samaria for this woman. Lord, a woman who to history remains nameless. Lord, we don't even know her name. Oh, but the Lamb's Book of Life knows her name. Father, to, to us, we, we don't even know. But Lord, one day in that place you've prepared for us, Lord, we might get to meet her. Oh, what a joyous day that would be. And Father, we thank you so much that you did not allow, Lord, and you guided and guarded her heart, Lord, that she could walk ever so slowly toward the truth. And Father, we thank you that we see that we have come to this critical mass. Lord, truth has been given. Now the question is, will truth be received? Lord, to know of truth is not enough. To carry around truth is not enough. To believe that there is a truth is not enough. Father, we must Possess the truth. And you say, you are the truth. Father, help us to rejoice in that. Father, help us to find comfort and encouragement in that. Father, help us find passion and compassion in that. Lord, that what we enjoy, 
Lord, we want to share with others because the world is thirsty for what only the living water can provide. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of your family. We thank you for the privilege of being the sowers of your seed. Lord, keep us faithful until we come to you or you come for us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen.